five, four, three, two, one. Pocketelic Podcast is a podcast about the things that make life worth living. Movies, metal, mixed martial arts. I'm your host, Master Bait Beckinsale, John Ham Sandwich, Disgrace Ventura, Alanis Morris Set Menu for Four. Let's get Pocketelic. Here's a new word for all of you boys and girls out there in Radio Land. So, new story from DailyMail.com. Headline, I've got two vaginas. I use one for porn and the other for my husband. Evelyn Miller, 31, from Australia, was diagnosed with, and this is where your new word comes into play, Punkadelophiles, get ready for it. Uterus didelifus. It means she has a double uterus two sets of ovaries and two vaginas. The mother of two now earns 12k a week on sites OnlyFans and Pornhub. Evelyn Miller, God bless her. There you go. That is a fully real thing that happens in nature. Like I'm sure you've all seen the pictures of like a two-headed snake or a two-headed cat or you know some great memes out there these days of uh, simultaneous twins. There's always like a reality show now in America that's being like, these two simultaneous twins have only one mouth and one vagina, but they've both got boyfriends. What the fuck is going on? You know, it's like, okay, but yeah, this double genitalism thing is like a real thing. So my question now is, is there a porno out there for uh, a girl, you know, with uh, with the double bucket? And, uh, and then is there a man with, uh, I believe it's called diphallus something or other, diphallicism? Could be mistaken. Maybe it's bi also. I don't know. I just know that I'm not bi, so can't really speak on the matter but uh, there you go so just in case anybody would want to hear it again that was Evelyn Miller okay let's get business out of the way early tonight Punkadella Files let's make this a fucking moving podcast uh, I say a moving podcast like you know like a walking baseline right it gives the impression of motion so there have never been more ways for you to get in touch with the podcast right here. We're over there on Instagram, at Punkadelic Podcast. Feel free to send us a DM there. Send us whatever the fuck you want. Send us selfies of yourself. Send us pictures of your dog. Ask questions. Suggest topics. Say things you liked about the show. Say things you didn't like. Tell us that the sound quality's gone to the dogs. We already know. Trust me. But feel free. If it helps you vent it out someday, go for it. Take it out on Punkadelic's inbox. You're welcome. If you'd like to be involved in the show, you can send a voice message using the link in every single episode bio if you're listening to this episode right now go down to the bio look in the show notes and you'll see it it's right at the very bottom uh, those can then be included in the show so if you want to get involved shout me out for uh, talking shit about USC fighters that you know shit that proves to be completely completely totally fundamentally wrong and like that happens on here that happens all the damn time and then over on reddit we're or slash punkadelic podcast I'm sure in all kinds of video content that wouldn't make for good stuff on the pod here and also when I talk about video or pictures on the pod here those links get posted to the reddit so if you want to have the uh, visuals that goes with the audio that's a really great place to start uh, please go over there and subscribe upvote any posts 
And then you can send us videos if you want me to commentate stuff, uh, or longer form mad videos of like mass shootings or anything, like Reddit's a place to find that kind of crazy shit that's, that's good for the show here, trust me, I get a lot of my stuff from there. Um, but just, you're welcome to go with it, there's live chat, we can have fun, do whatever you want, a lot of people just been sharing memes, sometimes people just share awesome stuff like astrophotography and psychedelic t-shirts and stuff, so uh, pretty punkadelic in there, I think you'll have a good time. We're also on Letterboxd, where I've been doing movie reviews in 50 words or less. I just review every movie I watch these days as like an exercise in like using my brain. You're more than welcome to follow us over there. Um, you'll see every movie I've watched and what I thought of it. And we're also on buymeacoffee.com. We're trying to raise some funds around here. We need to get some new equipment. Don't expect you to really get involved in that, but it's there. If you so wished, you could throw us five bucks. That would be incredible. Um, I've seen a lot of growth in the podcast recently. The last hundred view- listens, I think, have been the fastest we've ever got. 100 listens and um, if that makes sense i'm no data scientist but just wanted to say thank you i think it's validation of like going slow and steady and being like just never doing anything that i'm not comfortable with uh, i know sometimes it feels like i'm just giving in to my own anxieties and being like no fuck this i'm not recording this today but like i wait for the right energy and i think that's been paying off big time this year i think the pods have been good feel free to tell me otherwise um but also like have you ever seen people that just put out content that just put out content that fucking sucks like i might not have much to say but at least i say things you know what i'm saying oh i don't know if that made any sense but please wherever you find us online just uh subscribe like write comments send emojis do whatever you can to just help us uh help us glow up our profile online um if you could rate the podcast five stars wherever you listen whether that's spotify whether that's apple if you could write a review that would be awesome whoever writes the first review of punkadelic podcast be it five star be it one star i am gonna read out on the show so could that i mean that could be you you just gotta believe in yourself son go for it i fucking feel you on this one uh, and just to say that the very best thing you can do to help me grow this podcast aside from engaging with everything that we do online is to simply share it with someone that will like it you know what i'm saying like just put it out by word of mouth um i don't know you know i certainly can't afford paid promotion or anything around here i don't want to have fucking adverts popping up on people's things for punkadelic podcast i'm not gonna print posters but uh just trying to pimp the word of mouth here tell people that like the show had some great episodes over the years dutch much is two years old the first time we ever did true crime on the podcast uh, i put filters on my voice and everything it's crazy the story is wild and there's a visual element you can go and seek out online then for proper true crime scares um don't forget there's also speedy fagan you're a dead man one of our biggest episodes of all time here telling the story of one of the most notorious drug dealers from my hometown also, so far this year, Where Do You Come From, Cottonmouth Joe has been by far the biggest episode. Uh, I don't know, what am I doing in that one? Just going on a fucking rant, I think. So, uh, I don't know, people seem to be liking that one. Um, must have been in a flow state. So, we also got Chunkadelics out there now. Chunks of Punkadelic, get it? Little short clips that you can share with people makes that easier than ever. So, that's it and that's that. Let's get on with the fucking show. Okay, so I'm worried now that this might just feel like an extension of me plugging everything that we do online. Um, but I just wanted to fucking tell you guys, in case you didn't know, right, um, I'll try and do this quickly, but like, make a long story short is just something I'm not capable of, as you guys know. Um, make a story engaging, appealing, interesting. I would say I'm better at that, but again, your mileage might vary. <laughs> but as the bunk from The Wire would say, I'm just a humble motherfucker with a big ass dick. 
the story of Punkadelic, well, what I mean by the story of Punkadelic is I want, I just sort of want you guys to know a little bit better how I got here and what leads me to think that I have any right to do this or I'm any good at this. But, like, it's hard to explain where it comes from. I don't come from a family of exhibitionists or anything. Um, it just all starts at the fact that when I heard heavy metal, like, and the crazy, you know, as I've gotten older, I've gotten into more and more crazy shit. I was just like, okay, sweet. Now, finally, at long last, I can hear that the noise inside my head exists in other people's heads. And that's great. And it lets me know that I'm probably alright. So going from there and then just being like, this scene is underrepresented. These bands don't get their due. It's so hard to be in a working rock and metal band. You know, all those things just starts right there. And then I just think that, you know, somebody has to get up and speak up for these bands because there's any amount of shite hawks out there trying to sell you the latest fucking bad bunny record or whatever. So, you know, someone has to come out here and tell you that when Revocation were still a thrash death band before they went full death prog, like they were far better you know it was far more fun far more palatable and it was just insanely creative and freewheeling and that was jazz influenced in its structure obviously it was extremely heavy metal but dave davidson brings a lot to the table i'm here you know i've got a whole segment planned out later on how we're just going to talk about guitar tone on some of my favorite albums i'm not a professional guitar player i couldn't carry a tune in a bucket that's where it all kicks off from, and not that I ever listened to the man, but like the the dream for me was has always been to have a taste making radio show. So again, not that I ever listened to him, but like you know how people talk about John Peel. If you don't know who that is, you'll have to do a little bit of googling because, as I say, I never listened to him. But his reputation is that of they broke every band on the radio in the UK in the seventies and eighties, all the punk bands. Uh, everything that followed punk, new wave, uh, death metal, grindcore, like he's got BBC sessions, BBC, like this, like fucking Radio 1, like front and fucking centre, this used to be. There's Radio 1 sessions with Napalm Death, then he transferred into doing the same thing for hip hop, and I can't name you any of them, but a lot of underground stars. Uh, or Critical Darlings, cult classics have been there too. So if you type in the John Peel sessions, like you'll find a fucking laundry list of incredible bands. But again, not that I ever really listened to the man's words or anything himself, even his voice. I don't even know if I ever heard his voice. But just the way he's written about in the press and respected and when you were able to have a show that made a difference, not that I think that this show ever will, but, you know, uh, what's the expression, aim for the stars, Shoot for the moon because even if you fail, you'll land among the stars. So I think the point is that it's better to try than not try at all. And like I always say with this podcast, while we're talking about cute catchphrases, the fastest way for me to fail would be to quit. So I'm not going to do that anytime soon. Nobody can make me. Well, Spotify cut, I guess, but enough about that. So I took this attitude on to community radio. I had a show with my friend for a while, which stunk. Uh, that was for two hours on a Saturday afternoon. 
And then we moved into doing the drive time show for two hours every weekday afternoon. I would run down after school, get into the studio, make a cup of tea, get ready to rock and roll, playing the best in some 41 and stereophonics for your drive home. So from, what was the first show called? Was that Crowd Control? And then it was Rhythm Driven Drive. We didn't name that one. And then when Big D had to spread his wings and go fucking solo, it became the buzz. Get your fix live at six. Two hours on a Sunday. All the best in classic rock, punk and heavy metal. But the final 15 minutes turned over to house and trance classics to get everybody going for summer Sunday nights in the town. Then straight from the studio out to the bar. Happy fucking days. And so after a while, that show mutated. Well, that was actually cool. That show, I managed to get uh, acoustic acts on the air. So I just had two condenser mics to work with. Maybe three in that studio. But I could, I definitely had a session with a three-piece band, two, which was two singers. Oh no, maybe just one singer. A 12-string, a 6-string, and some percussion, like shakers and stuff. So those guys were called Bandwagon, I'm pretty sure. I'm not sure if those guys are still around. I hope they are. If so, shout out. Do you remember that, guys? Uh, they came all the way down from somewhere ungodly north and fucking did that just for the MP3 of it at the time, because that's what you had to do. I think we saw them backing up the answer, and that's where I came to know them. So... It did enable me to get to do some cool things. I also got on a bunch of record companies mailing lists around this time. So I got tons of fucking free music, early music, a couple of free gigs, um, interviews. Interviewed the bass player from Blackstone Cherry. Interviewed the drummer from Hatebreed. Interviewed, what's that big cunt that got kicked out of Machine Head called? Phil Demmel. Interviewed someone from Bleeding Through. Interviewed the frontman from Hesse Dixie, the bluegrass tribute to ACDC. And, like, don't fucking laugh, boys and girls, because that show is was one of the best I have seen. Hesse Dixie's cover of Bohemian Rhapsody is fucking art. The buzz was actually a lot of fun, come to think of it. Interviewed the Black Spiders, no less. Interviewed Taking Dawn. Got to see Wasp for free. Got to see the darkness for free, I think, maybe even at one point. The Christmas show, when they close with Christmas time, uh, just let the bells end, and we came out of the Ulster Hall and it had snowed. That was pretty cool. <laughs> just thinking, dude, that roving reporter kit that I had for those interviews, like, that's the exact same, exact same setup that I'm using now. This is. Shit, this thing has been with me for. Maybe 15 years now. Good god damn. That's fucking half my life. I just wanted you guys to know that. I have a history with this. But now look at this. This has turned into fucking. A personal intervention. And or therapy. Uh, but honestly there's cooler parts of the story to get to. Well not really. But the show did live on. Uh, after. Your FM on community radio. So that was broadcast on FM radio. That had a. F- Five kilometer radius, I want to say, being broadcast from the top of the Flagstaff Mountain or near there somewhere. So, all across Newry and the Morn region. 
Then what I was doing for a while was I was making inserts for the bigger rock show on the Belfast student radio or community radio. So that was like a pop punk show. And I would come along then with my segment, which I think was called The Buzz. Yeah, it was called The Buzz on the Pit. The show, that show was called The Pit. So it was The Buzz on the Pit. And it was like seven to ten minutes. I would talk for a few minutes, set up the intro with tune and then had like the Lamb of God song when they'd just come back after Randy's whole jail thing or the really, really heavy song from the Marmosette's first album L'Enfant Sauvage by Gojira was one of them that's a heavy fucking track if you guys don't know that one and that's also where I became probably the first maybe also the last person to ever play baby metal all over FM radio in Belfast I don't know how that went down in fucking homes across in Andy's town <laughs> Japanese J-pop metal crossover. You fucking know you love it. And then the buzz moved once more. Moved off the FM airwaves into the 21st century. We went on internet radio, station called Belfast Underground, which broadcast from the their custom studio at the back of their own record store, where they also administrated a record label from. And everything was broadcast on like five or six webcams all around the world. So unfortunately, none of those recordings exist on their thing anymore. I don't think COVID was too uh, kind to them. Um, that's a shame. That was a good gig for me. I got to go and work in a really big professional studio set up for dance music that I could just crank my favorite fucking music in and talk about it in the middle. And, you know, uh, I went to go in and like hang out posters of Lemmy and stuff for the time that I was in there and just like make it as cool as I possibly could. So... That was a fucking blast. And then it was the dark ages for a while. Then I was involved with... I tried to make my own podcast, which was called A Dream of Delinquency, which was just an experiment in doing it. Um, They still exist out there. They're absolutely horrible. I don't recommend you look any of those up. Uh, This is far, far better, far more entertaining. Maybe not this episode, but in general... Yeah, well, that's also when I get involved in with Red Acre Podcast. So I'm guest featured on a number of their episodes, talking movies, talking Mastodon album reviews. We tried to record a video review of a Mastodon album. That was just me, single host, two camera. Um, I don't know if we ever fully produced that, but we definitely recorded it. Tried to make a radio show also. Didn't go too fantastic. But um, I'm not even certain what Connor's doing with the Red Acre Podcast anymore, but I feel like hiatus maybe certainly the man's not done he's got more to give and then that's it straight into Punkadelic you know it was fucking bad for a long time it's still bad probably but I'm happier with it at least so that's it and that's that we've got over 1700 listens now we're cruising on our way to 2000 listens hopefully that'll be uh, by June July of this year I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna try and get more consistent. Consistency is the key metric to podcast success, and I just can't get that through my thick fucking skull. Just put one out a week, start scheduling them or something, build up a bank. Nah, all that forward planning and all. So now with Punkadelic Podcast, you know we're still often try to talk up unfairly maligned bands and whatnot. I'm sure you'll understand. Like Punkadelic is a portmanteau of punk and psychedelic. And we do have an episode planned coming up soon where we'll explore actually where does that inter- intersection lie in music. Got some good recommendations for you to talk about breakdown there. And, you know, I don't really know a whole lot about branding a podcast. I know that 
there's a sliding scale of production and it starts at like Matt and Shane's secret podcast, you know, no wave, just single camera, no movement, no angles, no nothing, no inserts. I mean, there's inserts now that they have adverts, but for the longest time there wasn't. Just good audio synced to the video of them sitting there and that's that. And then at the other end of the scale you have like Rick Glassman, you got, um, to a lesser degree, I guess, somewhere in the middle end, like Legion of Skanks with the segments, the intros, uh, real-ass podcasts and the bonfire with the soundboards, the team, the crew, the different things. So um, I feel like a little bit of production goes a long way. So that's why I just have the intro, Walloper Watch as a segment then. Um, but I'm trying to say more branded tags on here. I'm sure you'll have noticed me saying the same thing every fucking week. Uh, to plug all of our online stuff i try to open the podcast the same way every week now and at the end i say peace love punkadelic because i don't i've never thought of a cooler sign off so don't think too much about it and that brings you right up to date with me all right then punkadelic file cypress hill confirmed that their famous simpsons joke will now become reality the fortune tellers behind the simpsons have somehow made another joke turn into reality in a 1986 episode of The Simpsons titled Homer Palooza, the hip-hop band Cypress Hill made an appearance to joke about performing with London Symphony Orchestra. Symphony? Good man, Donald. Uh, bup, bup, bup. During the episode, Homer walks in a room, blah, 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 blah. Cypress, yeah, so you're just rewriting this episode for us here? That's great, okay. July in Denver with the Colorado Symphony, we are playing Black Sunday in its entirety to celebrate their 30-year anniversary. Good fucking God. Uh, do you know insane in the brain? We mostly know classical, but we could give it a shot. This I like. Oh, very, very, very good. That's in fucking Denver too, which is supposed to have the best weed in America. Black Sunday is the greatest fucking throw on and get stoned album of all time that's gonna be a fucking class gig i love to be there in a fucking basketball top annoying all the people around me full drunk full drunk never not smoking an obnoxiously large joint <laughs> blowing smoke at everyone's face fucking no look that's how it was when cypress hill played here you couldn't fucking see it was bananas, boys and girls. Oh, God, right. No, you know what? I'm just not doing it. I had an Emma fucking betting field or whatever the fuck she's called. Oracle saved there. But I feel like I just ripped her a new one on the last episode about... About what was she doing? Uh, oh, yeah, she was bitching about having a robot vacuum cleaner. Get out of here. All right, here's a quote from the Taste Buds podcast. Onion dip reminds me of childhood parties. Hummus reminds me of 9-11. This <laughs> bud's still the fucking best. Alright, so, mentioned earlier on, I wanted to get into it about guitar tones and what guitars should sound like, okay? I'm very opinionated on this, and I have a great one for you guys. Pigs Will Pay by Propagandi. Try saying that four times fast. Pigs Will Pay by Propagandi. Pigs Will Pay by Propagandi. Pigs Will Pay by Propagandi. Blah, 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 blah. Lost it on the last one. Fuck, I was going so well, though. This is what guitars should sound like. I have several opinions on this, including first and foremost, the Wild Hearts Tokyo Suits Me live record. Top recommendation for you there, Punkadella Files. Uh, I'm going to try and keep a track of these somewhere in a note for a really 
fucking sick playlist to be released with a future episode where we break down where does that intersection lie let's find it let's talk about it let's explore it in greater depth and see you know can we learn anything new in the research for the episode while we're doing the recording you know i'm not totally certain how that's going to pan out yet but that's an episode that's coming up soon and you can bet your bottom fucking dollar that turbo wolf are going to be on there some of the ways that the guitars sound and like they also have a fair amount of synth going on and i feel like they're on their bass through a lot of effects so possibly it's their production as a whole but on that second album two hands they sound like it's just glorious okay i wanted to read you guys a bit of an essay here dude even at the thought of that i can feel a prickling in the back of my throat i'm gonna have to go and get a drink of water but the most maligned and misunderstood of all of quentin tarantino's movies death proof i just read a really good essay here relatively recently or maybe you want to call it an article i don't fucking know whatever whatever the fuck you want right whatever makes you happy out there listening cunt yeah so it's a good argument for what makes this a good movie etc i know there's things about this movie that rub people the wrong way the total shift of cast halfway through the movie with only kurt russell to unite it um, long extended scenes of dialogue that don't really seem to go anywhere it's just like it's just like Tarantino E's class really so I get that it you know I struggled with it myself but I am a card carrying fucking member of the Death Proof fan club now so give it another go and if I, if I, if my word means nothing to you, let's see what you think of Willow McClay, who writes for the film stage. Death Proof and Quentin Tarantino's thunderous roar of total cinematic adrenaline. Looking back on this still young century makes clear that 2007 was a major time for cinematic happenings. And on the basis of this retrospective, one we're not quite through with 10 years on. One's mind might quickly flash to a few big titles that would be represented, but it is the plurality of both festival and theatrical premieres that truly surprises. Late works from old masters, debuts from filmmakers who have since become some of our most respected artists, and mid-career turning points that didn't necessarily announce themselves as such at the time. Join us as an assembled team, many of whom were coming of age that year, takes on their favourites. Grindhouse was intended to be the ultimate homage to the kinda cool, kinda sexy, kinda divine, but not too divine as to make you realise you're still dealing with trash, kinda exploitation cinema on which Quentin Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez grew up. The directors sought to replicate the experience of the rat-infested midnight movie houses that played kung fu pictures you'd later hear sampled in Wu-Tang Clan tracks. The beauty of the 70s grindhouse experience was too large simply to be lost to time, but instead of repackaging the same, artists such as Tarantino found their voice within the homage via Kill Bill and Jackie Brown, which freely took music cues, and everything else, from movies like the pinky violence feminist revenge picture Female Prisoner No. 701, Scorpion, as well as damn near all of Pam Greer's oeuvre. How do you say that? I don't know that word. Death Proof in particular was supposed to be his ultimate gift to the movies he grew up on. The problem? No one saw it. While Tarantino has been largely deitized ten years later, it's still the only film from the director that hasn't been reclaimed as some sort of lost classic. And the sad truth of the matter is that it should be. In indulging his own childhood film fantasies, Tarantino distilled the very vibe of his movies into a thunderous roar of total cinematic adrenaline and effortless cool. 
On the surface, Death Proof appears to be a reworking of the 70s muscle car film, best exemplified by Vanishing Point, Tulane Blacktop and Dirty Mary Crazy Larry. Vanishing Point in particular is this biblical text within the text of Death Proof. Characters do everything from name drop it to seek out an exact replica white Dodge Challenger with a 440 engine to rave into the countryside for a little game of ship's mast. To merely pin this as a sister film to Vanishing Point is nevertheless to undermine its true nature as both a slasher film and girl gang movie. When stuntman Mike appears with, with the crisp Austin Texas sun baking the hood of his shatter machine, it is a statement of foreboding that a bad man has just rolled into town. Tarantino emphasises this by having the vehicle take on a Michael Myers-like approach as it creeps along the streets following Jungle Julia and her band of girlfriends to the tune of Giallo soundtrack artists like Ennio Morricone and Pino Donaggio and Pino Donaggio. Atop the hood is a skull and lightning bolts, followed by a jet black paint scheme of all-encompassing intimidation for anyone who dare stand beside stuntman Mike's vehicular chrome sword. Let's just say, it's a hell of a ride. Kurt Russell's cinematic image is one of an eternal badass. His snake Pliskin eye patch, his flamethrower in the thing. And, on the surface, stuntman Mike seems to fall in line with those John Carpenter creations. But it's a different Carpenter-Russell collaboration that Death Proof reveals itself as. Big Trouble in Little China's emasculated Jack Burton. There's a clue for his characterization early on when he's seen hanging out at the bar jungle Julia and her friends crash with the same tank top Burton wore in that 1986 film hanging in the corner alongside all the posters of films everyone has seen within Tarantino's universe. Mike's even self-described as a teetotaler who can't hold his alcohol, building up to his one big drink of the evening, a virgin piña colada. It's now clear that the car's overcompensating for something and that Jungle Julia and her pals are actually the coolest motherfuckers in the room. By so clearly clipping his own constructed masculinity with these pathetic signifiers, the overabundant car, the tough job and the longing to get just one lap dance from this gang of girls he can't seem to comfortably interact with, Tarantino and Russell subvert typical slasher movie tropes with the honesty that this villain with the honesty that this villain isn't Johnny Cash cool but sniveling pathetic <clears throat> and blown away by the mere existence of womanhood stuntman mike functions as a disruptor of female friendship when he butts his way into the hallowed space of their conversations and hangout tarantino is famous and rightfully so for his ability to write long scenes of discourse and in death proofs witch's brew of muscle car slasher and exploitation cinema there's a dash of the hangout movie of course where characters simply just sit and chat about wherever the finest of these sequences are the long conversations between jungle julia arlene and shanna who'd like everyone to know it's Shanna Banana, not Shauna Banana, because there's nothing worse than girls named Shanna being called Shauna, in her own words. Like any real gang of women who are ride or die together, these girls have a language of specificity that they've created together through years of friendship. They rag on each other, but love one another too, to the point where there's total openness between the three girls about everything from their sex lives to what drugs they're using. Mike, though, is a wedge. Unlike all the other pathetic men in the film, they try to find their way into Jungle Julia's gang of women through sex. When Julia and her crew decide to go back to the cabin, just us girls, the men all go off on their own paths, 
but Mike sticks around and when they end up on the road together, Mike kills these women by crashing his death-proof car, the title is literal, head-on into Jungle Julia's ride. The film is split into two parts. In the second one, we once again meet a group of women the stuntman Mike is stalking, but here, he failed to realise that he was about to mess with the wrong group of vixens. Shanna wears a faster pussycat kill kill t-shirt in the first half, but it would have been more accurate for Zoe, Abernathy or Kim to wear. We hang out with women as they talk about everything. They work on a movie set together, two of them are stunt women in their own right, and plop their week off. Zoe and Kim want nothing more than to chase after the dream of driving the Dodge Challenger from Vanishing Point and there just so happens to be a man selling that exact vehicle in the back hollers of Lebanon, Tennessee, where these women are stationed. Abernathy and Lee, the naive hanger-on of the group, don't see what the fuss is about over an old car, but it's THE car from Vanishing Point and they're willing to indulge their friends' obsessions because that's what besties do. Viewing these scenes of conversation, it cannot be overstated just how important Sally Menke was to Quentin Tarantino's work. She edits the dialogue in such a way that makes viewers feel as if they're present. Cutting between the women as the conversation swaps point of view and moves freely between one another. In the filmography up through Inglorious Bastards, there was always this driving sense of communication between characters that brought out the very swagger of Tarantino's words, and that couldn't have been accomplished without Menke's editing process. Tarantino has become overzealous with his own dialogue in the past few years, but before Menke passed away she gave his films their very drive. The car chase between stuntman Mike's black winged angel of death and Kim's brand new white horse of a Dodge Challenger is one of the best things Tarantino has ever shot. He was adamant about not filming the chase with CGI, feeling there hadn't been a single good scene of this nature since James Cameron's Terminator 2. In Tarantino's own words, with CGI he couldn't feel it in his gut. There is something primal and muscular about the final showdown then between the two vehicles. It's a sequence that has two narrative beats split in two, where stuntman Mike is the villain chasing and attempting to murder the unsuspecting girls, in his eyes it's all a bit of fun, and the other is the revenge. He slams his car into theirs as Zoe Bell slides all over the hood of her dream muscle car through the hills of a sunny California meant to be Tennessee. During this chase, Tarantino's cinematic universe collides with reality and it's something he has never tried to accomplish since. As the factory line vehicles with no personality trail Kim and Mike on the freeway, there's a real sense of fissure between a world he considers lost and the world in which we reside. It's almost experimental, pushing the boundaries of what we've come to know in a Quentin Tarantino movie. It's an image like animation spilling over into live action, cinema cleaving into reality. When Mike actually runs the girls down and corners them, he exits his car for a little bit of gloating and flirting as he screams to the girls, That was fun! We should do it again sometime! Like some sort of maniac who can only have sex with his car. Kim doesn't take this too lightly though and shoots stuntman Mike in the arm. What follows is a reversal of the previous sequence with Kim and co chasing Mike down as he whinges like a totally pathetic villain at his gunshot wound that barely grazed him, all while attempting to evade the girls in his now beat up car. He can't quite get rid of them and after a long climactic chase the girls flip his car upside down. He crawls out begging for mercy but doesn't find any. The camera follows Kim, Abernathy and Zoe, focusing on the sway of their hips and skin tight jeans with symbolic motion as they approach stuntman Mike. And, like that iconic image of Varla laying waste to men on the poster of Faster Pussycat Kill Kill, 
They too find their calling in the circular camera work of the beatdown of this creep who uses his car for sexual gratification. In the 70s this scene would have been transgressive, an oppressive force knocked down by those he attempted to victimise and it still carries some level of deep satisfaction today. Due to the near constant vocal references to Vanishing Point, it would be easy to consider the Tarantino's focal point. But this is his girl gang movie. Chick habit? You betcha. So, girl's not the best writer, some of those sentences felt a little long and whatnot, but if that didn't get you pumped up to watch Death Proof, put it all in the right context for you then, I don't know how to help you. You should watch that Vanishing Point though, it's very good in a strange sort of 70s way. So here's a comment then, just while we're talking Tarantino about uh, his most like his last film. So this is just a comment on the Reddit, the Tarantino subreddit. Do you think the screenplay to the movie critic is going to leak? Because I'd love to read it. Read Bastards and Django before watching the movie and loving seeing the changes and how the script translates to the movie. But it's a movie. It's so much more than a script. Wouldn't you want to get the full experience head on? You would want spoilers. You don't want all of the visual cues, the music. I cannot relate to this at all. Oh no. Okay, so from Ask Reddit, the last thing you search on Google is what kills you. How do you die? UFC fight card. So apparently I'm going to be dragged into the octagon and have the shit kicked out of me. Probably by Juliana Pena for talking shit about her. I said it before and I'll say it again. 10 grand to sit cage side for her fight with Amanda Nunes in the Rogers Arena downtown here. I want to be able to take home her fight worn knickers for that price. Oh, do I have one more reading story in me? But I just got this one story I want to talk to you guys about. I just, do you know about this story, right? I'm going to read you the headline right now. I made my shade the top rated restaurant on TripAdvisor, subheadline, and then served customers frozen dinners on its opening night. This was by Vice. This is kind of a legendary article. I think there's, I'm sure there's a video to go with it too, but like reading the article is probably better content for a podcast. No. Anyway, I think it is, and I'm who matters here, so... <sighs> yeah. ...before I began selling my face by the acre for features on Vice.com, I worked other jobs. There was one in particular that really had an impact on me. Writing fake reviews on TripAdvisor. Restaurant owners would pay me £10 and ID write a positive review of their place, despite never eating there. Over time, I became obsessed with monitoring the ratings of these businesses. Their fortunes would genuinely turn, and I was the catalyst. Okay, obviously, Vice's fucking robot reader is stupid and awful, and this story is going to require Big D to bring it to fucking life. So, listen, I'm going to love these and leave these very briefly. We're going to go, we're going to smoke hard, we're going to come back, we're going to talk about the Shade restaurant. And then... You guys know already what time it's going to be. Right then, it's going to be time for a little old segment known as Walloper Watch. Once upon a time, long before I began selling my face by the acre for features on Vice.com, I worked other jobs. There was one in particular that had an impact on me. Writing fake reviews on TripAdvisor. Restaurant owners would pay me 10 quid and I'd write a positive review. Despite never eating there. Over time I became obsessed with monitoring the ratings of these businesses. 
their fortunes would genuinely turn and I was the catalyst. This convinced me that TripAdvisor was a false reality, that the meals never took place, that the reviews were all written by other people like me. However, they're not of course, they're almost all completely genuine. And there was one other factor that seemed impossible to fake, the restaurants themselves. So I moved on. And then one day, sitting in the shed I live in, I had a revelation. Within the current climate of misinformation and society's willingness to believe absolute bullshit, maybe a fake restaurant is possible. Maybe it's exactly the kind of place that could be a hit. In that moment, it became my mission. With the help of fake reviews, mystique and nonsense, I was going to do it. Turn my shed into London's top-rated restaurant on TripAdvisor. Setting up The Shed at Dulwich, April 2017 First of all, let me introduce you to my site, a shed in a South London garden. To get started, I need to get verified, and to do that, I need a phone. One ten quid burner later, and the shed at Dulwich officially exists. Now, I need to list an address, but doing so makes easy work for any sceptical fact-checkers. Plus, I don't technically have a door. Instead, I just list the road and call the shed an appointment-only restaurant. On to my online presence. I buy a domain and build a website. Hotspots are all about quirks, so to cut through the noise I need a concept silly enough to infuriate your dad. A concept like naming all of our dishes after moods. So here's like a part of the menu here. We don't have a traditional menu per se. Instead of meals, our menu is comprised of moods. You choose which fits your day and our chef interprets that. We can tailor dishes for special occasions and at extra cost. Examples of moods we've served in the past. Lust, rabbit kidneys on toast, seasoned with saffron and an, Oscar, and an oyster bisque, served with a side of pomegranate souffle. Empathetic, vegan clams in a clear broth with parsnips, carrots, celery and potatoes, served with rye crisps. Contemplation, a deconstructed Aberdeen stew. All elements of the dish are served on the table as they would be in the process of cooking. Served with warm beef tea. Love. A meal that makes your heart swell. Pork secretos with artichokes and red wine tapioca. Served with sweet plum bacon rashers baked in parcels. Comfort. Yorkshire blue macaroni and cheese seasoned with bacon shavings and served and served in a 600 thread count Egyptian cotton bowl. Comes with a piece of sourdough bread. Happy. Roasted haddock and champagne. Roasted haddock with champagne and honey. Comes with grandma's minestrone soup starter and a 5 HTP infused chaser. <laughs> Doesn't that build up your serotonin? Fucking hell, this is so hipster. Now, some soft focus images of those delicious dishes. You'd eat this, wouldn't you? But he made it out of uh, honey pepper fucking toilet tablets, you know, like toilet duck thing that you put in there, the tablets, and shaving foam. So it was all just about getting the photo. Okay, what about his chocolate brownies here? Yeah, that is... Ugh, something's just painted. It's a sponge covered in paint with quenelles of shaving foam. Oh, no, one's actually an egg resting on his foot. Yuck. With the concept logo... And menu nailed down, it all comes together. I submit my TripAdvisor forms, the rest is up to God. 
on the 5th of May 2017 I wake up to an email. We're excited to tell you that your listing request has been approved and is on our site for everyone to see. Thank you for giving us this opportunity to let the TripAdvisor community know about the shed at Dulwich. Best regards, the TripAdvisor support team. No, TripAdvisor. I want to thank you for giving me this opportunity to let the community know about the shed at Dulwich. Getting the shed to number one. I start out ranked at 18,149th, the worst restaurant in London according to TripAdvisor, so I'm going to need a lot of reviews. Reviews written by real people on different computers, so the anti-scammer technology TripAdvisor utilizes doesn't pick up on my hoax. I need convincing reviews, like this one. If you enjoy Chef's Table, you'll love it here. My husband and I occasionally like to take a weekend trip to London from our home in Warwickshire. We like to explore the quirky sides to London and we're big foodies. We stumbled across the shade in Dulwich via TripAdvisor. Apparently they do not offer online bookings, so I went down the traditional route and picked up the phone. Well, it took just over a week of phone calls to get through and finally book a table. Not ideal, but we were still very excited for our upcoming booking. We were not disappointed. The whole experience was fantastic. Our waiter was so attentive, nothing was too much for him. As the sun was setting, we were offered blankets. We politely declined. One had a stain on. But a nice touch adds to the alfresco feel. The portion sizes weren't huge, but quality was fantastic. The earthy taste and freshness of the food was something else. The menu changes regularly as most of the food is homegrown. What a delightful idea. We will certainly be back. I mocked up all the screenshots from TripAdvisor because our legal department told us to. <laughs> the celebrity endorsement Sean Williamson sends me after I meet him in a pub, thoroughly explain my concept and ask for a photo of him eating fancy food on a fancy plate, but instead receive one of him eating a roast dinner with a side of chips. So I contact friends and friends and acquaintances and put them to work. The first couple of weeks, the first couple of weeks are easy. We crack the top ten thousand in no time, but I don't expect much in the way of inquiries quite yet. Then one morning, something extraordinary happens. The shed's burner phone goes off. Startled and hungover, I pick up. Hello, is that the shed? Yes. I sound like a radiator that needs bleeding. I've heard so much about your restaurant. I know it's a long shot as you get booked up so quickly, but I don't suppose you have a table tonight. Panicking, I abruptly respond, Sorry, but we're fully booked for the next six weeks, and slam down the phone. I'm stunned. A day later, I feel another vibration. A 70th birthday booking, four months in advance, nine people. Emails, I check my computer. Tens of appointment requests await. A boyfriend tries to use his girlfriend's job at a children's hospital for leverage. TV executives use their work emails. Seemingly overnight, we're now at number 1,456. The shade at Dulwich has somehow become appealing. How? I realise what it is. The appointments, lack of address and general exclusivity of this place is so alluring that people can't see sense. They're looking at photos of the sole of my foot, drooling. Over the coming months, the shade's phone rings incessantly. Things are getting a bit out of control. By the end of August, we're at number 156. And things are starting to get a little out of hand. First, companies start using the estimated location of the shed on Google Maps to get their free samples to me. Then people who want to work at the shed get in touch, in significant numbers. Then I get an email from the council which wants to relocate us to a site in Bromley they're developing. Then an Australian production company gets in touch, saying they want to exhibit us across the world in an aircraft company's in-flight videos. And then, finally, I have a Skype meeting with a results-hungry PR agency that promises to get the shed onto the Mail Online with a Batman-themed launch and a 
£1,500 Lizzie Cundy appearance. The representative calls me obviously pretty cool, which is nice, but ultimately I decide to handle promotion myself. Jesus Christ. The final push. Winter has arrived and we're at number 30. But that position won't budge, no matter how many reviews I throw at it. Otherwise, though, things have taken a turn. People approach me on my road to ask if I know how to get to the shed, and my phone rings more than ever before. The tone of the email shifts, with people from all over the globe asking to visit. And then one night I get an email from TripAdvisor. Title, Information Request. Fuck, the game is up. I've been rumbled. My fingers tremble as I open it. 89,000 views and search results in the past day. Dozens of customers asking for information. Why? Well, on the 1st of November 2017, after six months after listing the shed at Dulwich Online, it's London's top-rated restaurant. A restaurant that doesn't exist is currently the highest ranked in one of the world's biggest cities on perhaps the internet's most trusted review site. On TripAdvisor's website, the company says it dedicates significant time and resources to ensuring that the content on TripAdvisor reflects the real experiences of real travellers. So I get in touch when the whole process is finished to ask how it is that I've managed to sidestep their rigorous checks. Generally, the only people who create fake restaurant listings are journalists in misguided attempts to test us, replies a representative via email. As there is no incentive, as there is no incentive for anyone in the real world to create a fake restaurant, it is not a problem we experience with our regular community. Therefore, this test is not a real-world example. Which is fair enough. I can't imagine this happens often. The representative adds that most fraudsters are only interested in trying to manipulate the rankings of real businesses. So the distinction between attempted fraud by a real business as opposed to attempted fraud for a non-existent business is important. To catch these people out, TripAdvisor uses state-of-the-art technology to identify suspicious review patterns and says, our community too can report suspicious activity to us. They then quote a 2000 blah 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 blah, alright I feel like TripAdvisor fucking sponsored this article now. Lonely at the top. So there you have it, it's done. Only it doesn't stop. I leave the Shades phone at a friend's house over a long weekend and when I get it back it has 116 missed calls. So I start answering again. We're booked up, I lie. We have a christening, another lie. Hello, the shed at Dulwich. Oh my goodness, a frustrated woman says, I've actually got through. I first contacted you back in August. I've heard nothing back. Now I've crafted this reality. I think the only thing left to do is make it reality. In just four days, London's best restaurant will come alive. I'm going to open the shed at Dulwich. The big night. I've never even had more than three people round at once, let alone provided dinner and drinks for 20. There's only one way to do it. Recreating the exact location people have been describing in reviews for the past six months. The food reminds people of home? Well, I'll serve them what I grew up eating. Ready meals. People like the rural yet classy vibe? Well, see that Wendy house? It's going to be filled with chickens, like lobsters at an expensive restaurant, so people can pick their chick. Our success is down to the gaming of TripAdvisor. I'll fill half the tables with people I know, talking loudly about how delicious everything is. How are we going to achieve the unmistakable, unmistakable ambiance of a real restaurant? By getting a DJ in to play the sounds of a real restaurant on CDJs. Soon Joe, my friend and the chef for tonight, shows up. He spent the past decade travelling the world working in fine restaurants. A man worthy of the shed's whites if ever there was one. Now we've got produce to source. All done for the price of £31 at Iceland, the frozen food store. Back at the shed, Phoebe has arrived. She's an intuitive waitress who can really get across the nuances of our menu, like how, by serving pudding in mugs, we're aiming to replicate the experience of what it's like to eat pudding out of a mug. 
For the starter, it's minestrone de verdure. For mains, a choice of truffle mac and cheese or once-in-a-lifetime vegetable lasagna. For dessert, the shed chocolate sundae. One last thing I ask of Phoebe is for her to ask the opinions of every guest privately, so they're honest. And with that, my vision has come to life. Guests sit on the roof, sipping mugs of wine. Chickens cluck happily in the Wendy house, ready to be slaughtered. Actors chomp away on spruced up one pound ready meals. A DJ pumps out the sound of a restaurant. See, this is kind of like a photo essay, so you're welcome to look this up. I'll post it to the Reddit. It looks, sounds and smells beautiful, and we're ready for our first two guests. I head up to the meeting point up the road, and on time are Joel and Maria, all the way from sunny California, vacationing in Europe for the first time. Last night they were in Paris, and tonight is their first night in London. A Pokemon convention brings them to the city. Oh my god, I cannot express how much to you I want these people to get fucking scammed immediately. Traveling around to go to fucking Pokemon conventions, going to the number one rated restaurant on TripAdvisor. Do you even go to the number one rated restaurants in my fucking neighborhood? Christ! I asked them to put on blindfolds and they look terrified, but after the two actresses who've arrived at the same time agree, they nod. I lead the four hand in hand into the garden. As we approach the house, Maria says, I can hear the sound of a kitchen. No, Maria, you cannot. The blindfolds come off. The Americans are silent. We serve moods here. I'll interpret yours and bring a dish that suits. Maria, I get a homely energy from you. Joel, I'm feeling cool, right? I rush into the kitchen and grab two mains off Joe. As per my request, the DJ triggers ding sounds frequently to disguise the noise of our microwave. <laughs> I place the purse dishes down, move away and observing from a distance, watch them stir at their mac and cheese. Maria takes out her phone for a photo, looks at the meal through her camera, pauses, then puts her phone away without taking a picture. The evening crawls by. Joel spots the two on the roof above him and can't stop looking. After largely 40, after 40 largely quiet minutes, the couple leaves. Joel looks furious. In the meantime, two locals arrive, full of questions about the place. I let Phoebe take the lead with them as I've got a table of four to deal with. After seating them and disappearing to grab drinks, I hear a scream from the restaurant. Outside, a lady runs across the restaurant squealing. Trevor. Oh, good time to introduce Trevor. The man I hired the chickens from is following her, clutching a chicken flapping its wings. I snatch the chicken off Trevor and stuff it in the Wendy house. As things calm down, the woman's friends begin to laugh. Why do you have chickens, they ask. It's pick your chicken. We cook the one you like the look of. Their expression's sour. But I thought you were a vegetarian restaurant. I found you as you're the top-rated veggie restaurant in London. My heart skips a beat. I hadn't thought of this. Top in all of London, you mean, I smile. We're fucked. People seem to be enjoying the food, but I can't stop thinking flapping chicken. Chicken. We need to make good with the table of four. I feel a tap on my shoulder. It's one of them. A man who informs me it's his friend's birthday. An opportunity to impress arises. I have a quiet word with my friend and comedian, Lolly Adifope, who's going to privately sing happy birthday to the birthday haver. Lolly begins shushing people who join in until it's just her. It's truly beautiful, but probably not enough. The other real table of two leave and I see out our foursome. I apologise as we go, bumbling about new menus and difficult circumstances. In the midst of my wittering, I'm stopped. Yes, yeah, so about availability, the lady says. Now that we've been once, is that easier? What? Yeah, is it easier for us to book a table now her husband jumps in? Yeah, it would be nice to come again. I'm absolutely speechless. Oh, uh, that's certainly something we could look at. 
they wave goodbye and disappear into the night. By this point, the restaurant has slipped considerably in the rankings. The page has now been deleted, but an archive version is available here. But we were in the top stop for almost a fortnight, and that's obviously had an effect. I barrel down the garden and scream the news. They want the book again! Everyone looks at me and erupts into laughter. I'm not surprised, says Phoebe, showing me the customer's feedback, which is roundly excellent. Possibly because I didn't charge any of them for anything. The whole evening was free because we were documenting it for a TV show, but also possibly because they really did have an excellent time. So there we go. I invited people into a hastily assembled collection of chairs outside my shed and they left thinking it really could be the best restaurant in London, just on the basis of a TripAdvisor rating. You could look at this cynically, argue that the odour of the internet is so strong nowadays that people can no longer use their senses properly. But I like to be positive. If I can transform my garden into London's best restaurant, literally anything is possible. Damn. Fair fucking play to him. That is following a fucking practical joke right to its conclusion. Okay, Punkadella Files. Are you ready for the best segment in podcasting? Fuck, I hope so. Let's get ready for... Walloper Watch. They live in your community. Get the fuck out. They comment on your posts. <sighs> Their parents feel them. Fucking disgraceful. They are... Wallopers. What's up, everybody? You're very welcome back to the show. This is Walloper Watch, also known as the best segment in podcasting. Also known as, you know what really grinds my gears. Also known as, so probably actually that's it. But here's what it is. It's the part of the show where we're like, what the fuck are people doing when they write things online? Like, it's just enabled the worst in people and it leaves a pictographic digital record. So I come along and scoop up those records and we make fun of these people. That's pretty much it. It's not that smart or intelligent. It's trying to make a point that people that write things like this, that contribute these things to society, like their vote counts the same as you and mine. So I am like annoyed about that, but I could probably stow that sometimes. Do I believe everyone has a right to participate in democracy? <sighs> that is a fucking tough one. And we have got some guys here tonight that are going to fucking make us work for it. Yeah, some great ones, some fat activism, uh, some thirsty Indian men getting into women's DMs, uh, girls making virginity pledges, fucking EDC nerds, counterfeit money, and tech bros. Yup, looks like it's gonna be another classic. Okay, from Reddit. Incel dumb discussion. 17 year old Fs are already full of cellulitis. Don't get me wrong. I'm not some low-T picky faggot who would refuse sex because of that. Not at all. I'd love to fuck them until they're screaming like animals. But I notice in my college that girls as young as 17, 18 already have lots of it. And not even fat ones. Sorry, incel tears. I know it hurt your, hurts your feelings deeply. But girls are in their primes. While younger, even, while younger than even 18. They usually have nice smooth asses at like 14. If you want to be mad at someone, don't shoot the, shoot the messenger. Blame something and hormones. Damn, you wrote that down where people could see it. Are you fucking nuts? Okay, here we go. Here's a good one. So it's uh, two tweets. And the tweets are three years apart from the same girl. First one in 2020. 
She's got a real thoughty picture. She's in like a stripy dress, giving it the alt emo fucking, you know, she's trying to get those bucks. Imagine being an ugly ass bitch talking about starting an OnlyFans. No one buying you that shit, LMAO. When you're a body, you don't need to objectify yourself like that. Guys will come. Heart emoji. And then in 2023, she's gained about four times her own body weight she's the size of the house she looks like Jabba the Hutt feed me you fuckers don't be cheap my Zelle cash app paypal Venmo in comments onlyfans.com and it's just like oh yikes the self-awareness is low we needed to go back and delete that tweet didn't we but you know probably the pizza guy was at the door okay here we go so I've written down don't fuck with women and then we've got a link Let's go see what we got over here. Instagram.com. Open and slower than I've ever seen. Okay. Anonymize this if you post this for me, please. So this is to the post. Damn, you need Jesus. The father of my children kept avoiding going to court when the attorney general tried to get him there for child support. I got annoyed and opened my own case. I still had to get him served, though. So I basically tricked him into inviting me over to get some of our kids' things that I had left when I left him years before so that he would give me his address. He gave me the complex, but not the apartment number, so I had to think quickly to get the number so they'd serve him. I basically seduced him, stuck my hand down his pants and begged him to fuck me. Just like that, he took me back to the apartment and I had what I needed. I was good to go. But... His girlfriend had been talking crap online about how only the right girl can make a guy want to be better. It was a jab at me because he had been awful to me. And I'm petty, so I went ahead and fucked him on their bed and again on their couch, then took a selfie from their restroom before I left and posted it. The next day he was finally served court papers and he was out on the next day he was finally served court papers and he was out on child support on child support a month later. And the girl that runs the account has just written back, You don't need Jesus. You need to teach a course on revenge. And then she also put an image of Ian Malcolm saying, Life of finds a way so we stand our revenge queen Jesus Christ do not mess with women I got it fucking right did I not so here's some knobbing writing back to a brewery I saw there the other day can you explain why the beer slash beer at the top is always off centre at least from what I can see question mark how about you go suck a dick? People are working hard to make fucking beer and you gotta point out problems with the packaging. Get a fucking life, you knob end. Okay, here's an Instagram profile I came across. Alright, so this is interesting. So his username is his email address. Modrofickmasteroffickgmail.com6 and then it also says, call me, WhatsApp, and has his phone number, and then his email again. Which is some Middle Eastern dude doing God knows what. So I'm just like, do people do that? Like, just have their, or just out there to be phoned by completely random strangers? Fuck that. All right then, from Reddit. Oh God, you know some women are about to be abused. <laughs> I have an even more interesting theory. Most female human specimens look terrible naked because clothes usually hide the weird things. When you see a naked woman in real life, it's not like in porn. It's weird. 
Sometimes the titties are pointy, sometimes they are like flat, sometimes they don't exist, and sometimes they are very perfect. Their asses are also unlike in porn, where it's just fun, where in real life you literally can't even fully hold a big ass. How does it even work? How are you supposed to manage that big ass? What are you going to do with that big ass? Sometimes the ass is so big you can't even see where to insert dick, so you just blindly try to hope for luck, which is very funny and weird at the same time, lol. And you know they are heavy! It's not in like in the face sitting videos where everyone is having fun. Sometimes you literally feel like it's just too heavy for you. Yeah, real life is weird. I don't even want to imagine what anal sex feels like in real life. I imagine there's shit flying all over, all over the place and it smells horrible. I, I mean, I guess so, probably. <laughs> oh, fuck. What a weirdo. Imagine just being like, Real life isn't anything like the tons of porn I watch online for everyone to see. Like, fuck that. No way. Not me. Not me. So, or slash predators, I don't know, it's like an American football team or hockey or something. If someone was at a Preds game and farted a lot of times, would they get kicked out? Just asking, because I want to attend my first Preds game, but I have a problem where I'm farting a lot and I don't want to get kicked out or banned. Any info, thanks. Just just fucking stay home, alright? Just, see if you're the phantom farter at concerts. Stay the fuck home, alright? If your wee system can't handle coming out and having a fucking stadium hot dog, smoking some dope in the parking lot, and uh, a couple of cans of overpriced beer, without smelling like you fucking diarrhoeed in a fucking pig pen. Disgraceful. Cut it out. So this is just a meme, but this is very funny. R.I.P. to everyone killed by the gods for their hubris, but I'm different. I'm better. Maybe even better than the gods. <laughs> okay, comments from Pornhub. You know this is going to be good. That was adorable. Cute giggle. Next comment. She made some pretty cute noises, but on the side note, ladies, please don't destroy your vaginas with monster dildos like that. My dick isn't anywhere near as big as that, and if you all are banging horse cock, by the time I get there, your shit's going to be like wizard sleeves, and that's just going to spoil a lot of it for the both of us. Well, by the time you get there, it's going to be a long time, so I wouldn't worry about it. Six horny senpai nine from Twitter. Obese is the N-word for plus-sized people. <laughs> the reply says, obese, please. <laughs> okay, then, from Facebook. The point won't be made until the Bud Light brand is discontinued. If you still drink it at this point, you are signaling that you are a queer. Okay, so there you go, boys and girls. Watch out. The number one identifier of LGBTQIA2AIA+. I think I covered all my bases there. Identity is Bud Light. Who had that on their bingo card for this year? From Facebook in Vintage Glass Identification, got a friend of my sister that came across this solid glass piece. Since she can't figure it out, she reached out to me and now I'm reaching out to all of you. Hoping to get an idea of what it is. Only thing coming to mind is either a bottle stopper for a decanter or probably a chest piece. 4.5 inches tall, 1.5 diameter at the fat part and 1.75 at the base. No significant scratches anywhere. Does look to have had reflective gold coating on it. It's a butt plug. This lady is touching something that is designed to go up inside of someone's rectum. So 
That is an arsehole plugging device, lady. That is, I would just put that down. What did she say there? Got a friend of my sister that came across this solid glass piece. Like, what the fuck is going on in this village? Well, I found this butt plug, and not one of them knows to say, oh. And then what is the last bit? Does look to have had reflective gold coating on it. Yeah, shit. Human fucking shit. I, like, I would just far sooner throw myself off the nearest bridge than admit to that in a public forum. Good fucking God. Have a word with yourself, Paris. Okay, the following three screens full of text are all messages from the same guy without response into a girl's inbox. Yes, before you ask, he is Indian. But you had that racist thought in your mind first. I just responded to it. Okay? That's what happened. Dibanjan! <laughs> I won't do an accent, don't worry. But here's... I'll just I'll just read you in just the cold hard light of day. This does not sound great. And I'm sure Ranajban, whatever he was called, would admit this. I want to come. I want to fap over your nipples and pussy lips. You will drink my cum and feel the taste. Do you like 69 or doggy? Are you done? Please nudes. Send me the nudes, dear. I am dying to see you nude. Please, Sonny, let me fap. Next screen. Wait, let me complete my college. Get a job. Then in the temple we get married. We'll give you a ring then. Okay, okay. Then a picture of a ring. Kneeling down. Please marry me, sunflower. Gold bar for you. I have money to water you, apply pesticides, fertilizer on you, and protect you from weeds. Don't worry, my sunflower. We will have many seeds. I have money, sunflower. Please marry me. You told you want to marry me. I gifted you a gold bar. Others gave you pearl beer. I want to get married to you and have sex with you. Please, let me have sex with you once. Please. <sighs> Being a woman online sounds exhausting. Okay, old people writing on Facebook again. I mean, whose granny is this? Come and get her. She's running around, buck daft, out of the old folks' home. The bakey dose bagels bagels take full bag of eight the everything bagel and try one of the jalapeno bagel. Then I will stop where cream cheese place. Someone's granny got into their molly. You know, move along. Nothing to see here, but... Uh, she does need to be put inside fairly fast and uh, stick a pot of tea on for her there because she's going to need it when she wakes up. Uh, okay, so here we go. We've got four pictures of, like, just, it's like couples in, like, the American South, like, grand fucking Colorado vistas, sandstone, snowy mountains behind them. One of them even has an oil derrick, like, proper old school Wild West fucking looking. The girls are in long dresses. The guys are in suits, very old-fashioned. Headline. These girls aren't getting married. They're making virginity pledges to their dads. And I'm just like, that's the last person you would want to make a virginity pledge to, surely. Make a virginity pledge with? Like, you're never going to bang. But, I mean, otherwise... So what, do you have to go and, like, undo that sometime? I have questions. Number one being, what the fuck? And so what, like, you have, like, little virgin photo shoots and then, and then what, like, p post that around town? It seems like probably a bad idea. 
Okay, here we go, from Reddit. Before I got off the plane at Munich, I asked the air steward if I could have a word with the pilot. He gave me a knowing smile and took me to the cockpit. Here's the conversation. Me. Flying at the distance we've flown, at the speed we've flown at, as the pilot, you'd have to dip the nose of the plane at regular intervals to allow for the curvature of the earth. Do you do that? Pilot. No, I don't. Me. So you just fly straight, no nose dipping at all. Correct. So does that mean you're flying over a flat surface then? Yes. So there's no curvature? No, no curvature. So if there's no curvature, that means Earth is not a sphere. Correct. It's flat. Knowing smiles all round. Yeah, that's it, dude. This one pilot let you into the international flat Earth conspiracy because you were just so smart and you worked it out. Get the fucking boss, our fella. That's enough. Alright, these everyday carry nerds, look at this here. Had to wash my road bike. Water supply couldn't be turned on by hand. Leatherman to the rescue. The dude turned on an outside hose with a set of pliers. That's it, and that's that. Like, it's on Reddit here now, and I've actually cut it off, but I bet you that had upvotes. I bet you that was not the least popular post that day. 100%. What a bunch of nerds. EDC, everyday carry. Like, I don't know. It just seems like a lame thing to be into. Okay, so, you heard me maybe mention local Nuri influencer Annie Malone recently, so I was checking up on a comment on his profile. Uh, there was a comment or a like from this profile here, and it was very, very positive, and I was like, right, who's supporting what this guy's up to? Got over here, and it's a guy selling counterfeit notes. Charlie Daniel, we offer top quality, double A grade plastic notes for all currencies, PayPal goods and services until you get packaged. Um... Yeah, uh, web address, dvlacounterfeitnotes.com. So, I was looking at their, their Canadian 20s look pretty fucking good, i got to be honest. Start paying my rent in it. Uh, okay, so, last but not least on this, and I think this was a stormer of a wallet for watch, to be honest with you guys. Uh, a tweet from Twitter, everybody drink. Anshnand. Oh, right, excuse me, so he's the reply tweet. So, the original tweet, I don't know who it's from, but I've been thinking a lot about in-real-life podcasts. Bring a few friends together, no mics, nothing is recorded, have a free-form discussion, can even have food and drinks. Has anyone tried this? And the reply is just, tech bro just discovered, hanging out. Peace, love, punkadelic, everybody. (laughs) 